of God. Have in my hand. Powerful word of God. Can change lives. Heal broken hearts. And save man's soul. Lord Jesus today. Speak to me. In Jesus name. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say what wall you got up. And then look at him and say, because God's going to tear it down. Here we go. <laughs> Nehemiah is a great story. Uh, we introduced it last week. Uh, you know, the, Nehemiah went back and rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. And uh, it's a story, really, of not just building walls, but of restoring a city that was in ruin and despair. And so... Today I want you to subtitle chapter 1 is Don't Despair, Begin to Repair. Don't Despair, Begin to Repair. Jerusalem is oftentimes in a, used in a pictorial sense throughout Scripture. Uh, it, it pictures a place where God dwells, where God desires to dwell. The city first designated to King David as the place where God wanted to build the temple was told that this was the place where God would dwell among His people. When Jesus returns, He's going to return to Jerusalem. He's going to put His feet in Jerusalem. Um, throughout the Old and New Testaments, the picture is the place where God is. So Jerusalem is a very important place in God's book. In fact, now it's not so much Jerusalem in the city, but it's in the hearts of men when you look at Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27, it says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. CIY, when it was founded by Bob Stacy, this was their verse. Christ in youth, the hope of glory. Bob added the TH. But see, Christ in you is the hope of glory. God now dwells within us. We are the temple. We are the church. It's not the building. It's just a place for us to gather. But we can still have church if it was out under the trees. We can still have church if it was down at McDonald's. We could still have church if it was at the football stadium. Really, we could. <laughs> See, you can have church wherever because church is the people. Amen. Don't forget that. So, Nehemiah depicts, the whole book of Nehemiah depicts the way of recovery from breakdown and ruin to a condition of peace, security, and restored order and usefulness. I read a survey not too long ago, New Year's resolutions. They surveyed 200 people who had resolved to do better in certain areas of their life. The survey also revealed that by the end of January, half of that 200 broke the resolution already. And none of the 200 were able to sustain their, their uh, resolution for the whole year. We find it more comfortable to go back to old habits, don't we? In Nehemiah, we're going to learn the reason why it's difficult to keep resolutions. And the reason is, is because it may put... If, if I can put it clearly, it's, it's right at the beginning. There is no recognition of God as a necessary part of the process. 
You can't get recovery without putting God in the forefront of why you're doing what you're doing. It won't last. You can recover, but it won't last. See, the battle didn't start after I lost 100 pounds. The battle started the day I acknowledged that I lost 100 pounds. Because then I had to start eating again. I didn't have an appetite back then. Boy, that was great. I didn't want to eat anything. It was awesome. Well, guess what? That came back. And Satan said, you know what? You've been really hungry, haven't you? I think I have been. You see what I'm saying? The battle rages every day in whatever addictive nature is facing you. And you've got one. I've got one. We've all got them. But if I don't recognize that God is necessary in the process, I'm never going to get restoration to happen. Gordon MacDonald was one of the most prolific Christian leaders in our, in our time. He had a moral lapse. He wrote this book, Rebuilding Your Broken World. And I, want to, I, I wanted to lift a piece out of the book that I think fits what we're trying to talk about today as we begin the study of Nehemiah. He says, In one of the darkest hours of my broken world condition, I found myself one day in the front row of a Dallas church where I had been asked to give a talk. I'd made a long-term commitment to be there, but it had not been for my host. If it had not been for my host's hard work or preparation, I would have tried to cancel my participation. Frankly, I was in no mood to speak to anyone, but I felt constrained not to cancel, and so there I was. And when the service began, a group of young men and women took places at the front of the congregation and began to lead with instruments and voices in a chain of songs and hymns, some contemporary, others centuries old. As we moved freely from melody to melody, I became aware of a transformation in my inner world. I was being strangely lifted by the music and its content of thankfulness and celebration. If my heart had been heavy, the hearts of others about me were apparently light because together we seemed to rise in spirit. The music acting much like the thermal air currents that lift an eagle or a hawk high above the earth. I not only felt myself rising out of the darkness of my spirit, but I felt as if I were being bathed and washed clean. And as the gloom melted away, a quiet joy and a sense of cleansing swept in and took its place. I felt free to express my turbulent emotions with tears. The congregation's praise was a therapy of the spirit, indescribable in its power. It was a day I shall never forget. No one in that sanctuary knew how high they had lifted one troubled man far above his broken world anguish. Were there others there that day feeling as I did? Perhaps they would have affirmed as I did, God was there. When we come to church, we should sense the presence of God. We shouldn't come just to come. Come because you're ready to see God. You're ready to meet God. You're ready to hear from God. And my job is to try to get you to hear from God. And therein lies the struggle. Because if I haven't heard from God, you're not going to hear from Him. Because I'm going to speak to you in a way that's not broken. I'm going to speak to you in a way that's cocky. And I'm going to speak to you in a way that's arrogant. But when God breaks you down, You have a much better message to bring. Amen?
So let's turn to Nehemiah, chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the twentieth year, while I was in, in the citadel of Susa, the winter capital of Persia, Hannah and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. I questioned them about the Jewish remnant. Underline the word remnant right there in that verse. That survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Underline those phrases. Jerusalem is broken down and the gates have been burned with fire. Nehemiah starts and opens the book with a description of Jerusalem. The people were in trouble. They were feeling a sense of disgrace and reproach. The walls of the city were broken down. The gates had been burned with fire and they were no longer usable. You look back in your own life. Early in this new year, we're still early in the new year, we're still in the third week. And you can see places where the walls in your life have been broken down. Walls that used to be strong and you had a stronghold and Satan could not get in there. Some of those walls have crumbled because you've quit watching them. You've quit taking care of them. You can't resist his attacks. You've fallen victim to sinful habits that you now find difficult, if not impossible, to break. It's the kind of ruin where some feel unable to stop wrongful sexual practices. You've gone along with the ways of the world. You've fallen into practices that the Bible says are wrong, and you know they are wrong. But you do them anyway because you justify it by saying, well, God understands. Yeah, He does. He does understand. Well, God will forgive. Yes, He will. But are you even working on it? Do you even care enough to want to stop for a moment? That habit that you've slipped back into? Maybe you have a difficult time with pornography. With drugs, tobacco, alcohol, a bitter spirit. You're just so angry and you don't even know why you're angry, but you're just angry and it shows all the time on your face. There's days when I don't feel good, but it's a choice I make whether to let the day get me or let that feeling get me. Amen? It's your choice. There's days I don't want to smile. There's days I don't want to see anybody. There's days I don't want to even say hello to anybody. There's days I just want to tell you exactly what I think. But I don't, and I can't, and I won't. Because I promised God a few years ago that I would begin to lace my speech with grace and humility and kindness and mercy. And that's what we need to be about the business of doing. Now, do I always do that? No, I wish I said it. I wish I could say I do. But I'm gaining on it. 
But are you even working on anything? You see what I'm saying? Do you think you're perfect in every way? (laughs) Well, wake up. You're not. You're not. See, it's tough to stop things that we've got going on. You know, maybe you're even a victim of uh, of a divorce or rape or some bitter life experience and you feel betrayed or sabotaged. Hey, I understand. But I still also believe that God can heal all that. God can heal it all if you'll just let Him. If you'll just let Him. But sometimes you want to run and hide, don't you? Sometimes you've been burned so bad, you don't want to talk to anybody, you don't want to deal with it. I'm just going to leave that church. Well, that always helps. Because if you leave this church, you're going to take the same problems to the next church. And by golly, they're going to be just as bad as the one you just left. Unless it's real big and you can go hide in the back. But you can't hide. You see, that's the problem. Because you're running from God. You're not running from people. You're running from God. Because God may bring tough things into your life for a reason, and that's to get you to grow. To get you to face yourself. That's why preachers move so much. It's because they get about after three or four or five years, they have to face their own demons, and they don't want to. I'm I'm grateful. I am more than grateful for a church that's allowed me to face my demons and keep working and keep growing. Thank you church for letting me do that I'm a better man today and a better Christian today and a better preacher today because you loved me enough to let me be who I am as ugly as it can be others may appear to be successful and you're not you you don't like that but Nehemiah took the first seven chapters of the book to lay out the steps for recovery. They're orderly and they're specific and they're very effective and if you take them in order, they'll lead to a full recovery back to usefulness in your life. And it starts in in our memory verse, verse 4 of chapter 1. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So the key, the first key is to sit down. Is to sit down. I sat down. See, before you can go very far, you need to sit down and take assessment of where you are. Get out a piece of paper. Make a list of the things that you need to correct. Now, the list may get long. It may just be one thing. As as perfect as you are, it may just be one thing. And if you're that perfect, you probably should find another church because this one is full of broken, hurting people. Does this church have hypocrites in it? Yep. Does this church have anybody that has an addictive behavior in it? Yeah. Does this church have people that speak before they put their... They don't engage their brain before their mouth goes off? Yeah, we've got plenty of those. Have we got people who will backbite and stab you in the back? Yes, we do. Some would say, well, why in the world do you let your church have people like that? Well, because that's the kind of church that Jesus hung on the cross for. I'll wait. I'll still wait. So he sat down. Took assessment. Secondly, it says he wept. Now that's important. Now for Nehemiah, he wept 
about his sin, but he also wept for the corporate sin of Israel. When was the last time you wept for the sin of this church? Well, 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 preacher, I didn't know this church had sin. Go look in the mirror. Well, I just don't know what sins I've got. Go look in the mirror. See, when you don't believe you've got too many sins going on in your life, it's because you've, you've become complacent. And Satan has you exactly where he wants you. Because you're perfect in every way. Be careful. Be careful that you don't get a haughty spirit. And then thirdly, it says that he mourned. There's a difference between weeping and mourning. M-O-U-R-N. Mourning. Oh, that's deep. That's a deep penetrating remorse. You ever screwed up big time? I mean, big time. You knew it. (laughs) I don't want you to raise your hands. There's people around you will be going, really? What was it? Well, we need to pray about that. (laughs) You gossiper. You just want information so you can go gossip about it. That happens in businesses, doesn't it? Places of employment, you get what I call pot stirrers. They love to stir the pot. It seems like their nose is in everything. (laughs) They're dangerous people. Dangerous. But mourning, that deep sense that I'm I'm in a bad position. I'm in a bad spot. And then lastly, he fasted and prayed. You want to get God's attention, you fast when you pray. You fast when you pray. What do I mean by fasting? Skip a meal. Don't eat. And during that time when you normally would eat, and your stomach is saying you're hungry, you're hungry, you're hungry, that's when you focus on prayer for whatever need that you're approaching God for. Do it. You'll be amazed at your spiritual growth, and you'll be amazed that God's going to take you serious. When you fast, when you skip food, <laughs> you're, t- you're, you're seriously praying to God. It's like when you give your money, you're seriously asking God for a blessing. He t- it's the only thing in the Scripture that God challenges you and me to do is to give. Bring the tithe to the storehouse. Malachi chapter 3. Just go read it. It's the one thing, the only thing He challenges you to test Him on. Test him to see if he's not going to pour out a blessing and open the windows of heaven. Wow. Well, I'll give him a $5. Then you're going to get a $5 blessing. I'm going to give $1,000. There'll be a $1,000 blessing. Now, I'm not about to say you give $1,000, he's going to give you tenfold. (laughs) Isn't it amazing that these TV preachers tell you that? Only because it's their ministry. You have to give it to their ministry to ever get it. So I want to use the same principle. If they ever call me, I'm going to say, hey, I understand that you, you believe in this seed faith thing. Great. I want you to seed faith into our small church. Send us $100,000. You're going to get a million. Uh, isn't, that, isn't that what he just said? He'll get a million if he gives us 100000 Guess what's going to happen on the end of the phone? Click. 
Because, see, the blessing is only residual to what I give to that ministry. Sat down, he wept, he mourned, and he fasted, and he prayed. You see the deep personal concern that Nehemiah is going on here? He's concerned about his soul. He's concerned about where he is. There's a depth of infection in him that needed to be cleaned up. Now let me give you four quick ways that he, uh, through the rest of this chapter, that, that he did. Four, four specific things. Number one, he recognizes the character of God in verses the, the latter part of verse 5 and the first part of verse 6. Look what it says. Open your Bible, sir. See what it says. O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God. Underline that. The great and awesome God. Who keeps His covenant of love with those who love Him and obey His commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the power, to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. The ruin you are concerned with may not always be yours personally. It may be that of someone close to you whose life you see falling apart because certain habits or attitudes have allowed to be entered uh, into their life experience. We need to understand that our concern may not be just about us, but about others. I know as, an, as a minister and an elder of the church, I have a responsibility for your soul. That's what the Bible teaches. That's why if you want to be an elder, you want to second check that thought process. Because now, as an elder, I am saying to God that I'm going to be very responsible even for your very soul. Wow. But in order for me to be concerned about you that way, you've got to humble yourself before the elders and allow them to lead you. Well, I don't trust these guys we got. Okay. All right. Maybe you get to need to get to know us a little better so you can trust us. I don't know. That's between you and God. But you may feel like Nehemiah. And you want to, you want to weep and you want to mourn. You know, when I look at, my, at, at, at things around us, the family members that we have, not only at home but extended family, and you see them making the same mistake over and over and over. Doesn't it just bother you deep inside? So the prayer for them needs to be in a different way, doesn't it? Second thing Nehemiah did in the latter part of verse 6 and verse 7 is that he repented of all personal and corporate sins. Look what he says. I confess the sins we, we Israelites. Circle the word we, underline Israelites. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Boy, is he not only facing his own guilt, but the guilt of those around him. I grew up with a, in a home where my dad would take us to church and drop us off. And then he would come back and get us later. He never took us to church. He never led us the way to church. He let my grandmother and my mother do that for us. Boys need to see their dads in church. Boys need to see their dads praying. Boys need to see their dads reading their Bible. 
Boys need to see men being men. And at the church house is a great place to show it. But we have done everything we can in the church to sabotage men from coming. Think about that. But we need men to lead. We need men to stand. And we need men to be holy and righteous and striving for perfection in God. And we need husbands who will love their wives as Christ loved the church. We have acted wickedly, very wickedly towards you, he says. We've not obeyed the commands and decrees and laws that you gave your servant, Moses. Oh, we've read the Bible, but we're just not going to follow what the Bible says because it doesn't fit my lifestyle choice. Okay? The Bible clearly talks about homosexuality and says it's wrong. One, one guy I love to listen to sing is Andrea Botticelli. Blind fellow sings. When he was in the womb, the doctors said... Your son's not going to be born normal from all the testing they've done. So he recommended abortion. And Andrea's mother said, no, whatever God gives us, we'll work with. And now you've got a voice that's an amazing voice. But because he was invited to sing at the inauguration of our next president, he had to, he had to withdraw from it because of the death threats that he's received. They said, if you sing there, we'll kill you. Wow. Wow. Now, I don't know about you, but i just go ahead and sing, wouldn't you? Because this world, in fact, that's what I'd sing instead. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Wouldn't that be fun? Somebody stand up on national television and start singing a song like that? Some glad morning when this life is over. All the Baptists in the crowd will start singing with you. <laughs> now, Christians, we're not going to sing loud. Pentecostals will throw their hands up. But in the Christian church, we only go halfway. Amen. Amen. And if from black congregation, you're dancing, you're moving around. You're, you know, somebody's on that organ playing. Amen. I remember preaching up in North Tulsa, and I said, you're not going to like this. And some lady in the back said, yelled, she yelled out, well, say it anyway. <laughs> you never told me to say it anyway. But I will, I will, whether you want me to or not. So we need to spend time confessing our sin to the Lord. First John 1 John 1.9 says that, right? If I confess my sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive me my sins, cleanse me from all unrighteousness. There's your hope. It's always been true that of the people of God that any degree of self-justification will cancel out recovery. So when you think you have arrived, you're lost. If you, are an, if you are a recovering addict of whatever it is you fill in, you will always be a recovering addict of that, of that problem. Because to claim that you've already won the victory puts you back at square one. But without God, you'll never get there. You'll never get there. Well, I am a Christian preacher. I am a Christian. He understands. I got you. He does understand. But he wants us to strive for perfection. 
holiness. Be holy, even as He is holy. Right? So don't lower the bar, raise the bar. Bill Blankenship's moved back to town. Woo! He's going to be a new Wassel Ram head coach. And he's got the two monsters, Jinx and Union, to try to figure out how to beat them. Okay. I know Coach Trimble was ready to retire when he heard that Bill Blankenship was coming back to town. And Kerr Frederick said, oh my, oh my, oh my, oh my. We can't win anymore. I don't think they've lost a minute of sleep. I mean, I lost a lot of respect for Bill Blankenship. He's a Christian man. Love his testimony and walk with God. So, you know, we've got to let God be a part of the recovery process. Keep him there. And by keeping him there, you'll see great victory in your life. If you take him out, it takes us to number three. Nehemiah reminded God of his gracious promises. Look at verses 8 through 10. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, if you return to me, now underline that, if you return to me and obey, underline that one, and obey my commands, then even if you are exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I'll gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling for, the, for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. He's reminding God of His gracious promises. And God has promised you and me, if we will remain faithful to the end, we'll receive the crown of life. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't quit. Love people like you want to be loved. Care about people like you want to be cared about. Get outside your comfort zone and do something that you've never done before. Some of you are going to John 3.16 with us once a month. We go every fourth Wednesday to John 3.16. If you've never gone, you need to go. It's an eye-opener. <laughs> it's an eye-opener. I'm seeing more women and children than I've ever seen on the streets here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Come on, folks. But look, he's saying... God, you said you would do this. You said you would do this. But there's always a condition. If you return to me and obey my commands. That sounds like Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I'll hear their prayers and, and turn from their wicked ways. Then I'll hear their prayers and heal their land. See, it starts with those who are called by his name. It doesn't start with the outsiders. It starts with us on the inside. Same thing that Nehemiah is saying right here. When the heart is right, God can change all the external circumstances of a situation and make it entirely different when your heart is right. I had a lady some years ago come up to me right here in the center aisle when I was walking out. She said, you know what? I'm going to pray for you because your preaching is lousy. I thought, well... Hallelujah. I didn't know what to say. She said, I'm going to pray for you. I said, well, I hope you will. Three weeks later, three weeks, she walked, uh, same, same lady, same spot. She goes, you know what, by the way, I think you're preaching better. 
Now, I don't know if my preaching got better or her prayers softened her heart. But either way, she was receiving it in a different way. See, God can do immeasurably more than we hope or ask if we'll obey Him and seek Him He can do it. Only once in history of the world has there been a prediction made of the entire history of a nation. It's found in Deuteronomy chapters 28 through 30. It's a marvelous message. Moses prophetically outlines the entire history of Israel. He said that they would disobey God. They would be scattered among the nations. They would go into exile. But if they would turn again and acknowledge their evil, God would restore them and bring them back to the land. And Nehemiah is reminding them that God is still ready to do that, but they have to do their side of it. Why do you think God should bless you if you're not going to do your side of the equation with God? He's not going to bless you. He is not going to do it. He won't bless the church. He won't do that unless we put God in the rightful place that He belongs. And we obey His commands and we follow Him. And we submit to Him. Even the prodigal son understand that, understood that in Luke 15 when he said, I will arise and go back to my father. You and I need to know we can arise and go back to the dead. Amen. And he'll love us. He'll bring us in and care about us. Fourth thing that Nehemiah did in verses 10 and 11, that he requested specific help to begin the process. Look, he says, oh Lord, look at the verse. Let your ear be attentive Underline that. Let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. He's talking about the king. He was going to go with the king and present his need. And he wanted the king to fund the whole thing. See, that's that's what you have rich people for is you've got to go and get their hearts tuned to the ministry so that they would give based on how you've presented the ministry. And you never know what God's going to do. You just never know. So what man? What man goes and does this? Well, look at the last part of verse 11. I was the cupbearer to the king. But the key here is that he had a place to start. You will never see victory in your life until you learn to find a place to start. And the best place to start is on your knees before Almighty God. No matter what the ruin and despair in your life, what it may be, there's always a place to start. A place to start. You might go into the hospital for 16 days. You might have an infection so deep in your leg that you can't walk. You may have cancer that left and all of a sudden came back. I don't know. But you've always got to have a place to start. You know, it may, may need that you need to go and apologize to somebody. You may need to go to somebody straighten something out. You need to stop some practice that you're doing that's wrong and you know it's wrong. You may need to open yourself up to counsel. Become teachable again. It's hard to be a teachable person. It's hard to believe that you're not doing stuff the right way. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to keep looking at yourself in the mirror and going, Why do I keep screwing up? Why do I keep messing up? 
Well, it could be because you're looking past yourself and trying to point a finger at everybody else. Start at home with you. Get your heart pure. Get your heart right. And there's only one way I know to do that, and that's on your knees before Almighty God. We've got this gnarly old cross up at the front. All of you like looking at it. But how many of you are spending any time around it? That's what it's up there for. For you to spend a little time around it. And we need to pray and pray and pray that God will give the grace and the strength and the determination to take that next step. Now I'm going to close this morning by asking you a question. Do you want to be a better man or woman in 2017? Do you long to be free from old habits, old attitudes, old practices, old and perhaps harmful friends? Then here's where your starting place is. Sit down. Take stock of your life. Examine the walls, whether they're strong or the, and the gates, whether they've been burned down. And make 2017 a year of risk recovery. And once you've determined that list, weep about it, mourn about it, and fast and pray about it. God, I want to thank you for this wonderful book that we're studying. It sets out a safe guideline to recovery and to be useful again. Thank you that when we fall and go astray to any degree, you don't leave us there. You make a way back. We pray that many today, I'm praying that someone today will determine to begin where Nehemiah began, and that's to tell the whole story in your ear and begin the process of recovery. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here and have a decision to make of any kind, would you as we stand and sing this great hymn of faith together?